0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Now, as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. The gospel of the Lord. In the ancient world hospitality was of the utmost importance. The Bible gives ample evidence of the significance of hosting and entertaining both friend and foe. So whether you are Abraham entertaining three visitors who turn out to be angels, or tax collector Zacchaeus hosting Jesus for dinner, or the newly baptized Lydia inviting Paul and Silas and Luke into her home, the Bible consistently exalts hospitality. Knowing that, let's engage this gospel with care and new eyes. Tradition has taught us to cast stones at Martha, the doer, while praising Mary, the listener. On the one hand, this makes sense. Of course, Mary has chosen the better portion who wouldn't rather sit quietly instead of doing chores. However, as a 30-year-old man raised by a single mother, I doubt very much that Jesus had experience scrambling about when unexpected guests show up. So yes, Mary is praised for her choice to sit and listen to Jesus. But Martha knows how important hospitality is in their culture. And she certainly is not going to neglect the man who will later raise their brother Lazarus from the dead. After all, sometimes you just have to get supper on the table. As far as hospitality goes, Martha is the undisputed hero in this story. And yet, it is Mary who is praised. What gives? Well, let's take a look at what exactly Jesus is praising here with new eyes. Jesus knows how important hospitality is, so he's certainly not going to bite the hand that is literally feeding him. Furthermore, there's no way Jesus would insult the very code of hospitality that he himself depends on throughout his entire ministry. Tradition has taught us that Jesus praises Mary for choosing to sit quietly at his feet while Martha scurries around preparing food. Clearly, this interpretation has fed into how the church has groomed women for centuries. It is better for women to sit quietly and listen. In fact, it is a praiseworthy and God-pleasing choice to sit at the feet of men and listen. However, 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 (laughs) there is something far more interesting and radical at play here. The role that Mary chooses is not one of a submissive, submissive, subservient woman. In fact, the role that she chooses is the man's role. In ancient times, it was the men who gathered around the rabbi listening while the women prepared the meal. Jesus praises Mary, then, not because she's done the expected, but because she's done the unexpected. She has upended ancient gender rules by taking her untraditional spot by Jesus and listening like the disciples did, trusting that her sister can get supper pulled together, which Martha does, although somewhat begrudgingly. In short, Jesus praises Mary's courage in stepping out of line and reversing things and overthrowing the status quo. Mary's position in this gospel is nothing short of a cultural coup d'etat. It's time we see Mary and Martha with new eyes. Jesus is not naive and knows better than to intervene between two sisters fighting. So he simply praises Mary and moves on. However, remember that the sisters' roles Often reverse in the Bible. There are times when it's Martha who engages Jesus and talks with him while Mary stays at home, tending to domestic things. Like when their brother Lazarus dies, Martha runs out to meet Jesus while Mary stays home. And Martha challenges Jesus directly, saying, if you had been here sooner, my brother would not have died. To which Jesus replies, your brother will rise again. To which Martha replies, yes, I know all this. He will rise in the resurrection, to which Jesus replies, I am the resurrection and the life, do you believe this? To which Martha replies, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. So Martha gets it. She knows. She has spent her fair share sitting and listening to Jesus. She readily knows who Jesus is and why he's come. She has not been relegated only to washing dishes and cooking meals. She lives alternating roles of listening and doing, as does Mary. They are both quite nimble, in fact, in moving back and forth between what's expected of them and what's unexpected and countercultural. This gospel, then, has nothing to do with condescending, patting on the head, or finger-pointing, or division, as in good girl Mary, bad girl Martha, it does not enforce or endorse the subjugation of women. Rather, it is a glorification of why Jesus has come into this world to shatter structures that oppress. The one thing needed, then, is to look at structures with brand new eyes. And this gospel story illustrates the reality that discipleship means sometimes you're a Mary and sometimes you're a Martha. There's beautiful fluidity here. In fact, sometimes you sit and listen and learn and sometimes you move and act, both of which are necessary and good. We need to be both. So then this is much more about gender and their traditional roles. All Christians, no matter where we fall on the gender spectrum, need to be ever ready to switch from what's expected of us to what's unexpected. Sometimes we wash the dishes and sometimes we shake our fists. Sometimes we pray properly and sometimes we march furiously. Sometimes we're Mary's. Sometimes we're Martha's. Christians are free then to sit and listen and learn and also to act and do. But we must always have new eyes to see kingdom, emancipation, in this world for all people. Action without wisdom is impetuous, shallow, and reactionary. Words without action are useless, superficial, and hypocritical. Christians must be conversant in doctrine, prayer, and liturgy, yes, but these things mean nothing if we don't also act and speak when others' rights and dignity are being threatened. Sometimes that means being bold, like sitting and listening to Jesus while your sister glares at you, bangs the pots and pans, and mumbles about you under her breath. Oh, Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet is not an act of submission, but of subversion. Well done, you. But this makes sense to us, really. In our hearts we know this all to be true. As ELCA Lutherans, we know that Jesus would not praise Mary for her silence and her submission. We know that. We know the role of Marys and Marthas in the New Testament. Marys wipe Jesus' feet with their hair in an act of shocking and courageous adoration. Marys gather at the cross when others run away. Mary's come to the tomb when others shelter in fear. Mary's preach the first Easter message that Jesus lives. Martha's intercept Jesus in fury and grief when Lazarus dies, engaging Jesus in public and challenging him to his face. In the handmaid's tale, which I just finished yesterday, very dark time to be watching that, by the way. Martha's There's a role, a cast of women. Martha's bake bread and keep house. Yes, but they also organize rebellions and resistance against their oppressive country of Gilead. What all this means is that things don't always look like what we expect them to look. People are not always where they are supposed to be. People are not always playing the roles they are supposed to play. I was at the park Friday with a little five-year-old buddy of mine, I saw a dad with twin toddlers who was clearly outmatched. (laughs) He had bottles and diapers stuffed into the pockets of his cargo shorts and Cheeto smears everywhere. (laughs) He looked utterly defeated. (laughs) And yet I don't think I've seen anything ever look more manly. A man can push a stroller and a woman can fly a plane. A woman can be head of surgery and a man can be a stay at home dad. A gay man can be secretary of transportation, a trans woman can be the federal assistant health secretary, a black gay man can be our mayor of Iowa City. Jesus praises and calls for such reversals of how things have always been, how they've always looked, the one thing needed is new eyes. This sounds like a random list of truths that we already know, but I don't think we can take any truths for granted anymore because it's not where our country is headed. Where men determine ownership of the female uterus, where straight people regulate gay rights, where not all lives seem to matter the same, turns out, where a few powerful and insulated people shape the climate and ultimately the fate of the whole planet, where school is not automatically a safe place for children to learn. In our world, we can assume no truths, save for the truth that Jesus came into this world to praise ones who step out of line in the name of justice. Jesus praises Christians who look at the world with new eyes and sit when we're supposed to stand and stand when we're supposed to sit and turn up in places where we're not expected to be. Like Pride and Juneteenth events, like human rights marches and protests, like public deliberations regarding affordable housing and fair wages, being present in surprising spaces for the good of all, not just for some. When my boys were little, And we lived in Calamus, which is where I served before coming to Iowa City. I used to set up this little nativity set under the Christmas tree every year. I would very carefully arrange the shepherds and the angels and so on. I was meticulous about all of it, positioning of Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus and all of the animals. One year, though, I kept finding little Thomas the Tank engines in the stable. They were all there, all of them, Thomas and Percy and Edward and Annie and Gordon and Toby and Duck and Emily and Sir Topham Hatt. They were all there in the nativity. Every night in frustration I would remove them and put them back in their bin. They were ruining my aesthetic. People were not in their appropriate places and every day those figures would return. Every day, stubborn and sticky little boy fingers would return those figures to the nativity, sometimes on top of the stable, sometimes where Mary and Joseph should be, sometimes even going so far as to replace the infant Jesus in his tiny manger with Duncan, the grumpy Scottish narrow-gauge tank engine, or worse, Bill and Ben, the villainous twin tank engines who work for the Sodor China Clay Company. My argument was that these secular and profane figures had no place whatsoever in that stable where Jesus was born. It didn't look right. It was not proper. But whether I had a brilliant theological epiphany or was simply worn down by fatigue, it occurred to me that Jesus would have given these mundane trained figures places of honor. That as Jesus praises Mary for assuming an unexpected role, Jesus would celebrate these smudgy and sometimes cranky tank engines nestled in amongst the angels and shepherds, intentionally positioned exactly where they're not supposed to be. It seems from today's gospel that Jesus then isn't so much interested in how things are, or should be, or are supposed to be, So much as Jesus cares for what can be, what should be, what must be, that calls for a reversal of things as we know them. Even if it means things won't look as we expect them to look. Even if it means people aren't where we expect them to be. We just need new eyes, is all. It means that the first will be last. It means that the humble are strong. It means that the meek rejoice. It means that the grieving laugh. It means that all isms and eos must die. Racism and classism, chauvinism, homophobia. It means discovering people with new eyes where we least expect them to be, like Thomas the Tank Engine in the Christmas Nativity, like Mary at Jesus' feet, like the King of Kings on a cross. Amen.